We are um, in here continuing our series that we're just calling Valiant from the Gospel of Mark. And I want to read to us from Mark this morning, Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35 through 41. Let's stand together as I read this, can we? A couple weeks for me out of the saddle. It's good good to be back. It's good to be back. With you. Wasn't Ryan Warner awesome last week with our, with our Father's Day celebration? And uh, Pastor Aaron the week before as I was gone. We got some wonderful preachers around this place that we're blessed by. Good to have the privilege of bringing God's word to us this morning. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Would you just read that phrase with me? Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still, or peace, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. I love it. I mean, the, the, the apostles, the disciples are afraid at the wind and the waves, right? These guys who, some of them were fishermen. They'd been in storms before. They're afraid. But then when Jesus does what he does, Mark says they, they were absolutely terrified. I mean, the, the waves freaked them out, but what Jesus did terrified them. And this experience was gripping them in amazing ways. We're looking again at Mark's gospel and thinking about ways in which Jesus is this valiant hero. Jesus is this rescuer, this one who stands for us and fights for us and and brings the reign of God in powerful and beautiful ways, Unable to be uh, slowed down by anything that would get into his way. I was reading a story this couple weeks ago about someone who, uh, I didn't know the full story. And as I read the full story, the, the word valiant, probably because I'm preaching a sermon series on it, but it just came to me. And it was the story of Eric Liddell. And uh, many of you know who he is. If you've seen the great movie Chariots of Fire, it was filmed, I think it won the Academy Award back in 1981. Long time ago. Lots of you were not alive in 1981. I understand that. But everybody sing the theme song with me. Dun, 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 dun. Let's get some, dun, 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 dun. some slow-mo. Anybody? Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, is that weird or what, that we all can do that, or at least many of us? I mean, it, it took over our culture, right? That song and that motion and that story. And if you don't remember the story, or if you never heard of it before, Chariots of Fire, you're thinking, what in the world is that all about? Eric Liddell was a British 
young person in the early 1900s. He was the son of missionaries to China. And while his parents and older sister were in China, he and his brother were at boarding school in, in Britain, Great Britain, Scotland. And he was a tremendous athlete. He was a great follower of Jesus, but he was also a tremendous athlete. He was on the national rugby team and a great track star. And he decided that he was going to focus on, on track. And uh, so, of course, he did. And he, he made the Olympic team. And he was traveling to the 1924 Olympics in Paris. And on his way, he discovered that the 100 meters for which he had trained and prepared and was world-class and ready to take a gold medal, actually the, the heats for the 100 meters were run on Sunday of the Olympics. And Eric Liddell had made a, a, a commitment not to run track on Sundays. And so he just decided, well, I'm not going to run the 100 meters. Uh, Thankfully, he had a friend who was able to switch out with him, and he was able to get into the 400 meters at the Olympics, and he won the gold medal in the 400 meters. If, you know, Janelle could probably tell us that those are two very different races. I think she's in children's church. Um, he also decided to do the 200 meters just for good measure and took the bronze uh, Olympic medal in that. Pretty impressive guy. The movie sort of ends there. There's a little bit of references about what he goes on to do, but not a whole lot more. But this story that I read in recent weeks just tells kind of the rest of the story for Eric Liddell. What happened to Eric Liddell from there is he went back to university and he trained and he got his academics all done and then he went and decided to go, felt called to go to China where his parents had served in missions. And he went to China as a missionary and and served there throughout the 20s and into the 30s, 1930s. And this was a very difficult time in the world. As we know, there's great political tension and, and war was brewing. He got married in the 30s, uh, had three uh, children. They served in, in China. In 1941, though, things went really bad. And the British government said that uh, anyone of their uh, citizens who were living in China should leave. And so Liddell decided to send his wife and three children back to Canada, and he stayed in China. And the, um, the story goes that it wasn't long before uh, he was interned in a Japanese war camp there in China, and it was known as the Shantung Camp, Weishan Camp, let me get this right, the Shantung uh, Compound. And... Uh, officially known as the Weishan Camp. And interestingly, um, Liddell is written about and, and noted by another person, a, a man named Langdon Gilkey, who went on to be a famous theologian. I know lots of big British names coming at you, Eric Liddell and Langdon Gilkey. But um, Langdon Gilkey wrote a book later on about the Shantung um, compound, the Shantung compound, that's what it's called. Is the name of the book, actually. And he wrote the book to sort of speak about his experience, Gilkey, moving from an atheist, agnostic person to watching and basically believing that humanity was good, to watching humanity within that internment camp and noticing that while it started out good, it quickly went bad and recognizing that there needed to be something more to ground a human's morality than just human goodness. And in the process, Gilkey became a follower of Jesus, and as I said, a, a famous and helpful theologian to the church. 
But in his book, uh, he wrote about this one who stood out in the crowd. He described actually how the other missionaries and pastors in the camp were fully as selfish and ungenerous as everybody else. And he said in many cases they were even more so because they often accompanied their behavior with pious words and attitudes. Is there anything worse? But according to Gilkey, Liddell was different. Listen to this. This is what Gilkey wrote about him. It's rare indeed when a person has the good fortune to meet a saint. But he came as close to it as anyone I have ever known. Liddell was especially concerned to minister to the teenagers of the camp. He cooked for them and supervised recreation for them and poured himself out for them. And more than anyone else there, he was overflowing with humor, love of life, sacrificial kindness for others, and inward peace. And when he died suddenly in 1945 of a brain tumor, the entire camp was stunned and mourned his loss. Eric Liddell, the the runner. Eric Liddell, the, the prisoner. Genuine, authentic, all the way through. And when I read this story just a few weeks ago, that sort of the end of the story, I was just struck by the, again, by the courage and the boldness and the sacrifice that he showed throughout his life in these situations. He, he lived a truly valiant life in service to the Lord and to those around him, particularly those who were young. I love that comment. He particularly looked out for the youth of the camp. Everyone else in the camp, according to Gilkey, grabbing for everything they could get. Not sacrificing anything because they were afraid if they gave anything, they'd lose it all. Just, just selfishly hoarding food, space, whatever it was. Liddell pouring himself out for the weakest, most vulnerable in the camp. And I just thought, again, Liddell is someone worth patterning our own lives after of what it means to be wholly submitted to God about what it means to live with selfless compassion, about what it means to to be concerned for those around us and how grateful I am and we should be for faithful servants of Christ. But like, like Liddell, but it also reminded me that he wasn't making this up as he went along. Liddell wasn't just like, hey, I think I'll be, you know, compassionate today. He was allowing the 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 original valiant one. To be the source of everything that he did and everything that he was. When he poured himself out, it was because he knew one who had been poured out for him. When he cared for those who were the most vulnerable, it was because he had been cared for as one vulnerable himself by his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just as he patterned his life after Christ, who truly demonstrated a valiant life, we too are to do the same. Courageous, bold sacrificial in service to the Father in heaven. Again, I said this already, but Mark's early chapters, Mark's gospel, are really interesting because they're just bringing out uh, this, this, this Jesus who is who's not messing around. He's just, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but the, the early chapters of Mark are all about the in-breaking 
of God's kingdom into this place. God is on the scene in Jesus and a new way has begun. A new era has been initiated in the person of Jesus. And all kinds of things are from this, play, from this world are starting to kind of come up against Jesus. And one by one, he just like, bam, 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 knocks him down. And in the next three weeks, we're going to look at three examples in particular. Today, this story of, 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 of creation, of nature, kind of coming up and Jesus saying, nope. Nope. Next week, it'll be the demons who kind of rise up and Jesus say, nope, get out of my way. And the last week, in three weeks, it'll be about uh, health and, and sickness. And Jesus says, I'm Lord of that as well. But this whole, this whole interaction, this whole uh, early uh, moments from, from Mark's gospel just, again, remind us and demonstrate to us that, that Jesus is a rescuing hero. One of our songs, he's called champion of heaven. That's what he is. Mark, Mark, for Mark, Jesus is the champion of, of heaven. He's a powerful victor, and he doesn't back down from anything in pursuit of the Father's plans. My hope is that even in this moment this morning, that as we watch Jesus, as we sort of just soak him in and observe him in these settings and the courage and the boldness that he lives with, that we too would be challenged, that we'd be invited, that we'd feel a sense of call to live into this kind of valiant life as well. Well, in the story we read today, it's Jesus who himself takes the initiative in, in, uh, in, this, in this boat ride. I don't know how long it took to get from the northwest uh, shores of the Sea of Galilee, where they were in Capernaum, to the southeast corner where they were headed down to the, the region of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes, depending on your translation. But I, I sort of imagine it, I don't know, for maybe because I you know, grew up in the 80s and I watched sitcoms, but I kind of imagine it as being a three-hour tour. I, I don't know what, sorry, again, little Gilligan's Island reference, and most people don't know it, perhaps if you're too young. But I just imagine it's a three-hour tour. I mean, it, this, who, who knew what was going to happen when they got into this boat? But it's, it, 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 it sort of gets, it got lost to me that it was Jesus that initiated this trip. I, I think the scene that kind of stands out to us is Jesus asleep in the back of the boat, right? I don't know about you, but when I read it, that's the one that just keeps popping out. He's sleeping in the back of the boat. But we dare not miss this, this, this very important Reality is a very important fact that this trip was Jesus' idea in the first place. I love saying Jesus's. This is Jesus' idea in the first place. Let's go. Let's cross to the other side. It was Jesus who said that to his disciples from the start. They were having a great time. I mean, did you read? We read some of the chapters before this one. They were having a great time in Capernaum. I mean, this is Jewish land here. These were people, there were some Jewish scribes and teachers that were not favorable to Jesus' ministry, absolutely, some of the Pharisees. But largely, the, the crowd was loving what was going on, and so much so that when Jesus got in a boat to leave, a bunch of them got in a boat and said, let's go too. They're following him over. This is a good spot, and you can imagine the disciples being, Jesus, this is working pretty well for us. We're building the following. We're getting things going pretty good here in Capernaum. Let's stay with it a little bit longer, and Jesus says, let's cross over. Let's cross over to the other side. And this, this phrase, in a sense, becomes 
very descriptive and very defining for this whole story and what, what I think is trying to be said to us through this, this passage. Because this, this simple invitation, think about this with me, this simple invitation, let's cross to the other side of the lake, not only sets into motion, do you get this? Not only sets into motion a night on this lake that none of them would ever forget. I mean, it would be imprinted in their minds forever. But this phrase gives us a glimpse, a pretty good glimpse, I think, into the nature of Jesus' ministry and of the call that would be upon these disciples and upon all disciples. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. In fact, I, I don't think it would be a stretch at all to say that for Jesus... The heart of his ministry was about crossing to the other side. Crossing to the other side. His his coming was about going. Jesus' coming, do you get that? His coming was about going. Jesus came to go. He didn't come to hang out and get patted on the back and acclaim and build a, a loyal following and and this, this little sort of earthly kingdom, he came to go and to give all of who he was, his message, his life, his love, his reach to all who would hear, crossing always to new places and to new people, going to show and to tell the good news of God's love and strength to any who would hear. It's early in Mark 1, and you can look back, 139, if you want to flip back a couple pages. The disciples, remember this, the disciples had hunted him down. He had been praying through the night, and they hunted him down. They said, Jesus, you healed a few people, and the, the crowds are clamoring for you. They want to know where you are. We've, you know, we've struck gold here, Jesus. I mean, we got things going just how we want them to go. People are following us. And he looks at them, and he says, actually, we need to go to other towns. And his words are this, we need to go, actually, there's the crowd, we need to go over there. Because, this is what he says, this is why I came. I came to cross to the other side, in a sense, is what Jesus is saying here. This was his mission, again, not to stay in one place, but to cross to the other side where the Listen, where the context would be different, where the faces would look different, where the traditions would be different, where the religions would be different, where the challenges would be different, where the possibilities would be different. This is what Jesus is all about. And again, leaving the northwest shores of the Sea of Galilee from the largely Jewish region of Capernaum to the, to the southeast corner of the region of the Gerasenes, about a 13-mile boat ride, I don't know, maybe three hours to a land that was filled with Greeks and Romans and Arabs, the Gentiles of the day, and a few Jews as well. This was a crossing to the other side if there ever was one. I mean, a 13-mile boat ride would bring them into a whole new world. And this is what Jesus is just like, let's go. Let's go. Let's go, guys. This was, the, uh, this was what we might call the missionary impulse of Jesus on display. Or the missionary pulse. I don't know if it's the impulse or the pulse. It, it beat, 
within him, and it, it drove him. This is, this is how he understood himself, one who was, who was on mission in the world. Again, this is why he had come. He would valiantly lead his followers in this bold adventure. It doesn't, it doesn't take us long it doesn't take us long to consider the ways in which Jesus is still inviting his followers to boldly cross with him to the other side, does it? I mean, we, we still believe that Jesus is inviting his people to cross to new sides of the world, to cross from the, you know, the, the east coast to Africa, from, from the bottom part of the United States into South America, from South America to China. I mean... There's all sorts from China to the United States. God is still sending missionaries across the seas from all over the world. And the, but probably the most beautiful thing about it is it's not just missionaries from the United States or from, from, from the United Kingdom. It's, it's missionaries from Africa. They're going to the United Kingdom. I'm not kidding. That's happening. And, and we still very much believe in this missionary impulse of people going to to unreached or underreached population groups with a message of hope and love. And we want to be, I mean, I just came from, I didn't get to be there a whole lot, and Deborah's over at the uh, Children's Church, but we just had our missions convention a couple weeks ago and uh, got to hear missionaries speak and hear about the missionary movement of the Church of the Nazarene around the globe Got to hear from our general superintendent who's from Mozambique, Africa, and about the global nature of the church of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to be a part of that. We, we want to be a church. I, I hope I'm not just, you know, I hope it's not just me. We want to be a church who is very, very concerned about global mission and being a part of that. And at the same time, this usually follows that charge, but at the same time, we need to hear and respond to Jesus simply inviting us to cross to the other side of the street or of the classroom or of the office complex or of your own home <laughs> to cross to the other side Extending the love and grace and kindness and goodness of Jesus there as well. Jesus is inviting us, as he did his disciples, to get into his boat with him. Let's go. Let's cross to the other side. He's inviting us to go get in this boat with him and to go to people who are not like us. It, it may be that we just need to go to people who to begin with, who are very much like us. But it's so much more fun to go to people who are not like us. And I think this is what he's saying. Let's, let's cross into a new place. Let's go to people who make us uncomfortable. Maybe whose faces look a little bit different than us. Who, who's, who, whose skin might be a little bit different color than ours. Whose traditions and values and languages may be different, whose income or social status or sexual orientation or whatever it might be may be different, and to extend ourselves in loving and gracious, kind and compassionate ways as Jesus would himself, agents of his love in the world in which we live. Let's cross to the other side. I will never forget and 
I always tell stories about my kids. I didn't clear this one with you, Katie, but it's about you. But it was when you were really little, so you don't remember this. Uh, ever since the moment Katie was born, Kyla, my wife, and I knew that she was going to go to Hope Elementary School. Kyla had taught at Hope Elementary School for a few years and before Katie came on the scene. And um, Hope is a great school. And we have some kids that went to Hope School or that go to Hope School, and it is a great school. And it, at the time, I think now as well, was a high-achieving school. Hope had lots of resources. It had lots of parent involvement. Resources means money, by the way, if you were wondering. Um, it had other resources as well, but, but it, had, it had lots going on for it. It had some... It had great teachers. Kyla had worked with several of these teachers. They were great. Lots of Christian teachers at that school. Uh, the, God's presence was really alive in powerful ways at, at Hope Elementary School. Fitting name for that school. Um, and on top of that, we had actually heard some negative rumblings about our own sort of neighborhood school. Uh... All the good that I said about hope was the bad that we heard about this other one. Struggling academically, socially, financially, it didn't have all those things that I just talked about that hope had. And, and in fact, it was probably a good school to avoid if you could figure out a way to get some sort of a transfer out of your district school. It's probably a good one to, to transfer away from. Only problem was that we lived in that district. We didn't live in the Hope School District. And so we had to get some sort of a transfer going. And as I remember it, Kyle, I'm sure, could correct my timing. But I feel like it was just days, maybe weeks before kindergarten, uh, uh, you were supposed to register your, your child for kindergarten when the news broke on the front page of the local newspaper. Now, for one, this shows that we're lacking for news a lot in Santa Barbara. But... <laughs> Um, it also shows the significance of the, 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 the front page headline, Hope School District Closes Down District Transfers. Wow. I was like, what do you, what do you, that was my reaction exactly. I'm like, what are you talking about? We've been planning on this girl going to this school for six years. And now, like in one fell swoop, it's over. And, and like, like right there, the news press says it's so, so it must be true. And it's in big, bold print. And uh, we were reeling. We weren't sure what we were going to do, but it appeared that that option was off the table. So now our only option was to go, well, we could transfer within the district, but our best option, it seemed, was to go to the school that was close to our house. It's this little school with a neighborhood, with a playground, I mean, in, in the middle of a neighborhood with a playground that backs up to the 101. So kids out on the playground, they get to just hear cars zooming by on the 101. And fittingly, the name of the school is El Camino, the road, right? El Camino was a school and is a school with a high percentage of English learners. That's what they call them, English learners. That means a lot of brown kids and immigrant kids. It was and is a school with a high percentage of kids receiving free and reduced lunches, which means a lot of poor kids. It was a school with low numbers in standardized testing, meaning lots of kids who had a hard time academically. 
But I have to tell you, it was like that headline in the news press announcing Hope's elimination of student transfers. It was as if that was Jesus' invitation for Kyla and I and our little blonde-haired, blue-eyed, afraid-of-going-to-school kindergarten daughter to get into a boat and to say, let's cross to the other side. And so we did. And if you've been around here for a while, you know kind of the rest of the story. Both of our kids had great success at El Camino and every aspect of the word. We currently have and have had kids and teenagers in our youth group from El Camino. In fact, we had one spend the night at our house last night. Good to have you over, Fatima. We've, uh, as a church, we've provided shoes and food and jackets bought a coffee maker for the staff. I think it's working hard. It probably needs to be replaced. Care packages for the staff. And Kyla now has taught at El Camino for several years, first as a sub, and then the last two. Listen to this. As the last two as a, certi- a certificated tutor, if you don't know this, in the Learning Center. And she shows up every day to help those same struggling kids we were hoping to avoid 12 years ago. I just think Jesus is so awesome. For so many reasons, but one, because he says, try this boat, and let's cross over. Now, please hear me. Um, I am not saying a lot of things. I'm not saying that you need to send your kid to the neighborhood school. I'm not saying that what we have done at El Camino and what we have done is, you know, like the gold standard. So many of you have been involved in your local elementary schools and other places in our community that that just kind of far even... uh, surpass what what we've been able to to do there. Um, I'm definitely not saying that you need to get a job at your local elementary school. Um, What I am saying is that we need to watch out for the places and the moments and the times where Jesus is saying, let's cross over. Things are good here, aren't they? Let's go to the other side. Let's see what's happening over there. Have there been storms along the way at El Camino? Absolutely. Will there be storms along the way as you seek to cross over into new lands with Jesus? Absolutely, for sure. Actually, I wrote faux show in my notes. (laughs) But what new territory? What new people groups? What different kinds of faces and traditions is he pointing you toward? Maybe, again, it's a neighbor, a co-worker, Evening is coming. The clouds are forming. The storms are brewing. But let's get into the boat anyway. And let's cross to the other side, knowing that Jesus will be with us all the way. There's one other side of this, though, that I want to hit real quick. I'll do my best. This, this crossing to the other side motif, I think it's not only for, for the people to whom they were crossing, this missionary impulse but I think when Jesus said, let's cross to the, to, the, to the other side, I think he was actually also saying something to the disciples about the people they were going to become as they crossed to the other side. Let's cross to the other side, not only because of what we'll do when we get there, but because of who we'll become as we go there. Does that make sense? That we'll become people who, 
who trust in the Father more deeply, who depend on him for his strength more intently, who are desperate for his, his powerful touch more and more as we cross to new places. It's a story, I think, that depicts their deepening levels of faith. It's just a f- short time after they hit the water that the storm rises up. This lake, this Sea of Galilee, actually was and is famous for these kinds of storms. I mean, people who study this know that these kinds of storms violently come up quite often and unexpectedly on the Sea of Galilee. It just kind of came out of nowhere. Suddenly, all sorts of problems. Again, these disciples were fishermen, and they were freaking out. They'd probably been in things like this before, but this one was different. And there's Jesus at the front with his arm up, leading the way, right into the midst like George Washington or someone, you know? I mean, just with his hand holding the torch as they made their way through. (laughs) No. Where's Jesus? He's sleeping in the back. Sleeping in the back. It's like, where's the pillows, you know? This is just too much. Jesus is sleeping in the back. And, and we don't know why was he, we'd like to say he's so confident and content in God's protection that he was at peace within the midst of the storm. It just shows this, this sense of, of identification with the Father so deeply. That, that could be, could be that he was just wiped out from ministry. <laughs> He'd been going like crazy and it could be that he could sleep through, you name it. Could be that he just wanted some alone time from these disciples. And they had come and gotten him off the mountain where he was trying to pray. And now he just needs some more alone time. We we don't know for sure why he was sleeping, but he was asleep in the back of the boat. Maybe he's testing them. And then, interestingly, I didn't notice this until some uh, commentaries pointed this out. But then there's, interestingly, a series of rebukes. That happen. Three rebukes right in a row. And there's a little bit of tension with each of these. First, it's the disciples to Jesus. Wake up. Somebody just freaked out. Right? <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I wasn't talking to you, whoever. Uh, <laughs> That's what the disciples said to Jesus. Wake up. Don't you even care that we're about to drown here? Don't you? I mean, come on. And, and the tone of their speech and the words that they used were, were such that it wasn't like, a, oh, Jesus, don't you see that we got problems here? Hello. No, it was, you don't care about us. You brought us out here, and you're going to let us die. Is this what it's all about? They were rebuking him. They're telling him it's his fault and accusing him, in a sense, of letting them perish. That's the first rebuke. The second one is Jesus just, he doesn't really look at the disciples. He, you can just kind of envision him kind of looking at them going, peace, be still. And in those words, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. Jesus, this one who is not just sort of connected with God, 
not just this one who sort of represents God, but in this moment reveals himself to be God, the very one who created the wind and the waves, now is the one who says, be still, wind and waves. I have charge over you as well. And then he looks at the disciples. And the third rebuke I sense to be perhaps a little softer in tone, but stinging even more in content. Do you still not believe? Do you still not have faith? Three rebukes, back to back to back. Everyone is rebuking everyone. It's like a rebuke party, which is better than a puke party on a boat, right? That's what it could have been. That's true. Let's be honest. I mean, I don't, I don't have my sea, my sea legs very well, Kim. Be careful if you get me out there. A rebuke party, that's not in my notes. I just made that up. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Well, hey, this story was told, um, Mark told this story. The, the early Christians kept this story alive. The disciples, Peter, Peter's the one who told most of these eyewitness accounts. Peter the apostle to Mark, who later wrote them down. Peter remembered this story. They kept it alive. They told it to themselves. They told it over and over. I mean, for one, still, remember at the end, they're like, what was that? What just happened? They told this story over and over to each other. They told it to Mark. Mark wrote it down so the early Christians could, could read it and, and hear it and live into it. And, and, and without a doubt, it was, it was recorded and written down and told over and over to demonstrate the power and authority that Jesus has over all that is, over creation, that he is one with the Father. He is he is not some separate, like, subjected, secondary jun- God junior. He is God himself. And without a doubt, Mark wanted to, to tell this. It was a story intended to reveal the identity of Jesus on a very foundational level at all times and in every circumstance in control of the situation. Get this. This was an epiphany. It was a God sighting as Jesus stood in that boat. But, but, but Peter also told the story, the, the disciples also told the story, and Mark wrote the story down, not just so that we could have this historical account and we could know that Jesus is Lord over the wind and the waves, but I think they wrote it down so that we could know on a very personal level that Jesus is also the Lord over the storms of our lives. That those early Christians in particular who would face incredible persecution, and the early churches that came to be, and, and as they faced the, the winds and the waves that, that would come and crack. I mean, even the, the language that's used to speak about the boat, you, you just think about it as a person's life. The, the, the water started to get in, started to crack, started to break. Panic starts to ensue. And it's like Peter knew this and Mark knew this because they'd experienced it and the early Christians knew this, that this isn't just a statement about the, the all-powerful God acting in this in this natural event, it's about the, the power of God to, to work in our own personal lives and in the life of his, of his church. The story invites us to go along with the disciples in the boat. Now cross into the other side, not just of the lake, but cross into the other side of faith. Cross into the other side of trust. Coming to a new place of confidence, learning to believe that this Jesus 
will not only be with us in the boat amidst the storms of life, but that he is the same one who has the power to do something about the wind and the waves and the storms of our lives. I think, again, about these disciples at the end. What is going on here? And it's just, again, another little piece that, that shows to us that for these disciples, as it will be for us, this, this coming to a new side of faith and trust is oftentimes a journey. It's a process. They, they knew, the, the, probably the best thing about the disciples is they knew what they didn't know about Jesus. And, and I always get a little bit concerned whenever I feel it in myself or whenever I get around people who seem to give off the, the, the idea that they have God figured out. And they, you know, we have this real sense of, I know exactly what Jesus is up to in my life and in the world. I think the disciples reveal to us that we all ought to just kind of be, like Maria was saying, when we come to prayer, we ought to be like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do now? Do it, Lord. Whatever it is, you want to calm these wind and waves, then please do it. We'll expect the unexpected. It just seems like these disciples give us a good model to follow in constantly being surprised at the work of God. I think about Liddell, again, that we spoke about at the beginning. I think about his journey of coming to and through faith. I think about that boat, or that, I don't know how they got there, I guess boat and then train maybe from Scotland to, to Paris, in which he learned that the heats would be run on Sunday. Everything that he trained for coming right here into conflict with everything that he had decided upon in his heart and having to let go of the one and what that journey physically to Paris meant for him in terms of the increase of his faith. And I think about after the Olympics when he was on his way to China as a missionary and I think about as he's imagining what he will do and what he will become and the opportunities that he'll have and his faith just increasing as he makes his way there, learning to trust and believe and have confidence in God. I imagine him being captured and taken to the Weishan camp, taken to the Shantung compound. And in a whole new way, get this, in a whole new way, having to, to, to learn to trust now this is a new chapter. And even when his head started to hurt, and even when he started to maybe black out, and he, they didn't have any doctors in the camp, so they didn't know what was going on, and maybe he started to forget things, and, and suddenly he had died, and they discovered that he had a brain tumor. Even in that whole process, learning to trust and believe. I don't know what it is, but I just have a sense that most of us are somewhere in the midst of a storm. If you're not, you're probably the, you know, isolated person here. Most of us are in some kind of a storm or another. The invitation is to stay in this boat with Jesus who is with us, who is now not asleep but standing with arms raised looking into not just the sea, but into our own lives and saying, peace, be still. Peace, be still. And believe 
and trust in this journey, in this crossing into a new place of confidence. So I, I hope that makes sense. I, I hope that some of you are able to say, I'm not there right now. I don't actually, I want, I'm saying it, but I don't know if I believe it, that God is actually going to help me through this storm. And, and what I want to say to you is, that's okay. That's all right. The storms get big. We, hey, don't be too quick to judge these disciples. I mean, we know the storms get big. Don't just say, I trust God and don't mean it. It's, it's, it's worse to say, I trust God and not mean it than to say, I don't know if I trust God and mean it. Because I just think that, that Jesus can do something with someone who says that and say, all right, then let's cross to the other side. Let's just go together. And I'll be with you. And I'll speak peace into your life. And in one way or another, we're going to get there. And you're going to believe in me. And we're going to watch it happen. I, I love to go and have breakfast by the harbor or go out on the walk on the breakwater and look at all the boats out there. Look at Ken's boat. I just like look over at it. Oh, that's a nice boat. But I was just thinking about this. That what's funny is, you know what a harbor is? You know, you it. it's a parking lot. Right? It's a very expensive parking lot. It's not public. Uh, it's, it's a parking lot. None of us go to like Vaughn's and sit there in the parking lot and just like, oh, I love this. You know, no one's at Cody's, like, you know, eating at Cody's, looking out over the parking lot. Mm. I mean, it's a different deal, right? And obviously, Harvard's a little bit different than a parking lot. But that's essentially what it is. Boats were not built to be harbored. Boats were meant to sail. Boats were meant to go. Ken, I'm not saying anything to you. Present company is food. You can leave it in the harbor as much as you want. But let's just, you've told me that before. I mean, it was 25 years or whatever in the, sh- in the shed, but, but it finally got there, right? And now it's going, and boats, boats weren't meant to be parked. They are meant to sail. I, I, the, the worst thing that could happen to any of us would be for Jesus to say, let's cross over the other side and say, nah, I'm good. I'll just stay parked right here. Just tie me up. It's actually pretty comfortable Look around, the waters are pretty smooth. It's protected, got a nice wall right there, keeping it nice and still. I can sit here and be very relaxed. How many churches, how many followers of Jesus have done that exact same thing? Man, I just don't want to be a follower of Jesus like that. I don't want our church to be a church like that who plays it safe. I want to be a, in fact, it's, it's not surprising that early Artists often depicted the church as being in a boat. The, the, the name for a sanctuary in, in formal churches is the nave, which is the same word that gives rise to the navy. It's, it's a water-oriented, a ship uh, movement, a boat-metaphored faith that we live in and that we, that we believe in. And, and for us to stay moored to the dock is to say, I'm not going to the other side. And Jesus says, let's go. My hope is that we would do just that. A missionary impulse, a growing faith, 
Let's cross to the other side. Let's cross the other side. Worship team, come on up here, would you? I want these guys to lead us in singing. And this song, guys, is a great reminder. We're singing God with us. Is that right? A great reminder of this, this reality that in the midst of this storm, whatever it is that you're facing, in the midst of our pursuit of God's purposes, in the midst of all that God would invite us to be and do, there is one who is with us. We don't do it on our own. Jesus is with you. He's speaking peace right into your life right now. He's, he's calling you. He's inviting you to cross over. Whatever that might look like, cross to the other side. Unwrap the, the rope from the dock. Set sail in beautiful and powerful ways. Let's stand together as we sing it, can't we?